This podcast is sponsored by Lucy Pet and Equus Grooming Products. Welcome to Doc Halligan Unleashed with the one and only Joey Volani. Joey, how are you today? I'm good. You know, I have a, I have a, a question because how do dogs... Uh, Dogs don't seem to ever lose their flexibility. And the reason why I say that is I just watched a 14-year-old dog scoot its butt. Now, if you really ever watched a dog scoot its butt across the rug, they're able to get their knees almost up to their eyes and their back legs straight up in the air. And I want to know, at that age, how do you even do that? Because when your butt's itching, that's all you're focused on is itching your butt. So you're going to contort yourself to get that itch, right? You know when you got an itch in the middle of your back? And what do you do to try to get that itch? But the most important thing is, why is the dog scooting? Let me. Oh, I know, but, but I'll let you tell it. There's several reasons for scooting. All right, let me give you, let me, let me see if I, if I nail them. The obvious is anal glands. Right, yes. Worms. Parasites, yes. yes. Um, and this one I don't know, but I'm going to say um, blockage. Constipation. Yes. Yes, that could be, yes, yeah, something abnormal with the intestine, large bowel or the colon. Very. Dr. Volani. Did I get all three? What, or did I? Okay. Yeah, what, cool. you got all three. What vet school did you go to? Yes, you're very smart. Super dog. Very, very smart. Professional groomers, 1974, Cliffside Park, New Jersey. <laughs> there you go. And now I hear you have a, a move going on here. Mr. Joey Villani is leaving New Jersey. New Jersey is never going to be the same. No, I'm going to see what you don't know because you live on the West Coast. I'm moving to New Jersey South. And anyone that's from this area knows that I'm going to Florida because that's what it is. It's New Jersey South because we've all infiltrated them down there. They, they probably hate us because, you know, here we come with our accents and our food and, all, you know, everything that, that they, you know, didn't have. Um, but hey, I can't wait. I can't wait to be a Floridian. So let's talk about traveling and pets because let me tell you, uh, it's a big, it's a big adventure. Believe it or not, my bird gets car sick. And that's, a, as you know, because yeah. you and I were talking about it, my bird gets car yes. sick and, and it's, it's going to be a problem. Well, let me tell you what you want to do with your pet, whether it's a bird or a cat or a dog, bring familiar items with you. When I moved my two cats, I brought all my junky couches and everything and knew, knowing that I was going to get rid of it. But it, it, they like to have routine or like something that's familiar to them. So you should try to bring as much of Gertie's old stuff, even if you are going to end up getting rid of it, stuff that she likes or would notice because that helps ease it. Yeah, that's, that's just what I want to do. Fill up my car with all kinds of junk and drive 1,400 miles with the bird that's and, it. And, and leave my good stuff behind. Well, no, take it all and then pilfer it out as she acclimates. You know, it's funny because tra people nowadays take their birds in the car just to take them on, you know, walking on the boardwalk or, you know, people have become very attached to the pets and they like to travel with them. You know, it's amazing. I'm in the grocery store and I'm seeing people with a bird on their shoulder in a grocery store. As you know, I've been divorced now quite some time and, um, 
but my ex and I, we still, we, we share bird custody. Actually, we don't share bird custody. The bottom line is when I go out of town because I, you know, do travel or did travel a lot, I would have to bring the bird and the bird was used to us. So it was like an easy and the bird still has, you know, her own room at the, at the house. Um, but, um, so my bird travels actually a lot, but she gets car sick because yeah. it's an hour and a half within 30 minutes of it. She is regurgitating. Uh, and, you know, but we have, you know, I don't want to talk about that too much because I think we had some good tips on one of our yeah, shows. Yeah, we did. And, and we'll let, we'll let that vet, um, discuss it. And, and listen to our show. So, and what, what we're all about is questions because gosh knows that you can't really get a vet on the phone. And now with COVID, it's hard to even get a vet in person unless emergency clinics are saying if they're not dying, don't send them. So I think the questions are helpful because we feel like we're making a difference because that's really, that's really why we, um, why we started this whole podcast was to help people. I have a question actually that somebody, um, that, that somebody sent in, um, Okay. This woman's name is Marie, and um, she comes from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And okay. um, she was asking, she's having a hard time. It's, an, it's a puppy. And apparently, she seems like she's having a hard time, you know, getting the, the pet into the vet's office or the groomer's office. You know, the dog is getting to the, to the door, and it's having, like, stage fright. And, you know, I mean, I can picture that. You know, because I've seen it so many times. Usually it's a big dog and they get to your front door and they lock down. And nine times out of ten at that point, the owner doesn't have a choke collar on. They got a regular collar they slip out of and we're chasing that dog around the parking lot. Oh, so my God. All the time. It's 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 un And we actually tell them I'm getting off track here, but we actually tell them they got to they got to have it secured properly, harnessed, choke collar, yeah. something. But they still yeah. don't listen. But anyway, I think this is a great question because, you know, it happens so often. So how do you get them used to it? I mean, I know how, how I would, but I want to hear for, because for, I think I think it's harder for a vet than a groomer because you got a lot of different smells going into the vet, okay? Yes. So. It's all about building confidence. When a dog is frightened to go somewhere, it's because their 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 cup is half empty and they're just worried and they're frightened and so the key is to build confidence in your pet and that can take a lot of work but over time you'd be amazed at how much you can actually change your pet so the point is that i actually do this with clients we have the pet come to the vet come and get weighed and leave we don't do anything to it we don't put a thermometer up its butt comes into the clinic everyone plays with it loves on it put it on the scale and then they leave and so so you know because for them, it's the anticipation of the unknown and they're, and they're not confident. And, you know, it really starts when they're puppies, believe it or not. Um, they have a socialization period. I think it's nine to 16 weeks. And I'm seeing all these puppies now and I'm telling people, take the puppy everywhere. Uh, that's not to say that I'm telling them to take them to dog parks because they're not vaccinated. But I'm saying like, Get a stroller, put them in a stroller, take them to the beach, take them to an office park where they can uh, walk around because there's no dogs. Take them over to your friends, take them to a retirement home, take them to a school. They've got to see children, other cats, other dogs, people. And I had a lady, this is a true story, they spent $5,000 on this dog. They drove like 12 hours to go get the dog, Joey. 
that it's like a nine week old dog. It's a terrier mix. And she was all excited. She took it in. I brought it in. I put it in a cage. It's like Cujo, nine weeks old, trying to bite and snarl. And I was like, whoa. Yeah, that's scary. At nine weeks. That's, so that's why it's scary. Because that dog's going to bite you. That dog doesn't doesn't know. That dog is going to bite you. And yeah, that's scary. So listen to this. So these are friends of a very dear friend. So we worked with the dog and we, we muzzled it, but we did what we needed to do. And I went out without the dog and I said, listen, I got to tell you that I've been doing this a long time and I've only had a few puppies really act like this. Half a dozen maybe. And they were like, I mean, you know, and I felt it was hard because they just spent all this money. They drove 12 hours. I said, listen, this is what you need to do. You got to start training this dog now. You got to build her confidence. Just like what I'm saying. Take it over. I said, and, and so come back in a month for the second series, right? They came back in a month. It was a different dog. This dog was a completely different. She was loving she was happy because she was still a puppy, Joey. She was in that period. And I heard from friends of mine like, oh, my God, we got to go over to our friends and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they were just like, you know, and she spent, her and her husband spent night and day on this dog. And now they have an amazing, beautiful, confident dog that's very good at the vet. You know, that's that's great. Um but I have to tell you, and, and, and I'm going to talk on the professional side because we always say that we need to train the owners. But sometimes, and we would do this in the salon because a lot of times it's like your technicians or your front counter help. Um, it's I'm not going to say it's it's um, cheap labor. It's not, but it's it's um oh how could I say um it's entry labor, okay? If you want to be a veterinarian, that's your entry. If you want to be a professional pet groomer, um, you, you know, you're going to start out probably at counter, work your way to bather and work your way in. But it's really important for that person that when that pet comes in is actually very warming and greets it because I have been in a lot of places and, and mainly with the vet with me because I don't go into grooming salons because I'm a groomer, so I don't know. But I've been into veterinary office where it was, okay, the atmosphere is sterile in a lot of them. And it was, there's other dogs there, and it wasn't, how can I say, welcoming. Now, what yes. we train our staff to do is, is I want you to know everyone that's coming in before they come in. I want you to know that if Petey the Golden is coming in at 10 o'clock, because you're not going to, nine times out of 10, it can happen, but nine times out of 10, you're not going to have three or four Goldens come in. You're going to have one right. or one of this breed, right. one of that breed. So I'm right. able to recognize. So when Petey walks in the door for the first time, I greet Petey. Even before I greet the owner of the dog. You know, I greet that dog. We build some sort of bond and just make it a happier environment. So the dog is trained by the pet owners and then the professionals do the right thing. And then it just makes it so much better. Now, the, the veterinarian or the, or the groomer that, that's working, they already know that. But it's the entry help. And it's a lot of times it's our fault because we don't tell them. We don't train our own staff and say, okay, this is so important because this is going to make or break whatever that visit is entail. Whether it's going to the vet, whether it's going to the groomer, whether it's going to the dog walker, whatever it is. 
So on our end, you know, we have to make sure that we do the right thing. I love that you said that. Yes, you you know, it's amazing how um, it's very important from the minute they step in to feel the energy of what's going on. Uh, we use cookies and we use positive voice and, and uh, reinforcement like that, talking sweetly to them, hi, and creating a positive energy. Uh, because once they've had a bad experience, I... I mean, it's it's hard to then recondition them to having a good experience. So Absolutely. hopefully, did, did we answer that question? I think so. I think we answered it pretty good. Okay. So I don't know. So so what do you, let me ask you, uh, Reed, there's a bunch of questions, but I'm going to read this is for a groomer. So I thought it was good. My dog is um, not good at the groomers. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid my vet has prescribed... Um, uh, tranquilizers, but I'm more natural and I don't really want to have to sedate my dog every six weeks to take, is it the groomer or is it the dog? And what can I do without giving, having to give it drugs to make it have a good experience at the groomer? I don't know. No, I'm joking. I'm <laughs> joking. <laughs> We've stumped him. We've stumped him. Anyway, no, this happens. Listen, this happens all the time and I'm that guy. I don't like to give my pets any sort of drugs just because I don't know maybe it's maybe it's me maybe it's not okay um first off there's a lot of different types of things that I think that you need to talk to your veterinarian about and just come straight out and say is there anything more natural that I can give and or go to that veterinarian that will prescribe that for you to make you more comfortable and usually people that want that they seek out those veterinarians anyway that they could talk about alternatives now is an alternative always good? No, it's not, especially on our end, because I have seen pets come out of sedation and go into sedation. And when they come out of sedation for that quick three seconds that they're going to nail yeah. you because it's a false sense of security. Um, listen, the groomers have abilities. Some groomers work with different breeds, with different um, just personality types different than others. And I'm, I'm, I'll give you the best example. We had a poodle that used to come to, um, it was before I had the school, I actually had the Pampered Pooch Salon in Morristown, New Jersey. And we had a poodle, and the poodle hated me from day one. Don't know, never did anything to it, never, because the way I told you how I greet my pets, that's how I've mm -hmm. always been taught. And right. this dog hated, this dog would show its all his teeth, every tooth in his mouth at me wow. as soon as he seen me. <laughs> and then... My other groom would come out and the dog would wag at everyone else. Oh, I would walk oh in the room. My God. And from a, so to be honest with you, is that a good dog for me to, to work on for two reasons? Number one, no. I'm going to stress that dog out. That dog doesn't want to deal with me. And I don't want to deal with that dog. I don't want to get bit. So in certain situations, nobody has to do anything. It's a personality thing. But if you, can, if you have other people, you can do that. In other situations... Depending on the severity of it, I need someone that's more experienced. I mean, mm -hmm. to be quite honest with you, for the amount of years that I've been doing this, I've seen it all. I'm not going to say, I mean, I've seen it all. So, you know what? I know how to handle certain situations because I can anticipate it before it happens. And it's just through experience. So, I think when you go into it, and a, see, a big part of the problem is, is people will go to different groomers. And then they'll come to you and they don't tell you exactly what happened. Just that they had a bad experience in the, in the other salon and the groomer 
was at fault. And in some cases, that's the truth. But a lot of times, wasn't the groomer that was at fault as much as the experience level of dealing with something like that? Now, you need to let your new groomer know that. Say, listen, we've had problems in the past, but we've also had groomers in the past that have been able to do the dog. So I already know I'm going into possible, and I say possible because it doesn't always happen, into a, a difficult situation. I'm prepared for it. So because just like you know, we can see a pet by the movement of its eye and know this one's going to give me a problem or this dog is fine. You know what? Everyone's just afraid mm -hmm. of it. We know that, you know, because you do it long enough. So if I'm prepared to look at those characteristic type traits that are going to, yes, it's good. So two ways. You got to trust your groomer. You got to listen to them when they tell you certain things. And if you don't trust your groomer, you know what? Find someone else. Go to someone you trust, but listen to them. If 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 you trust them and they're going to tell you what needs to be done, because there's been times where I said, you know what? You needed to go to the vet and get some doggy value here because we can't do this, especially with cats. We can't do it. It's a dangerous experience for not only the cat, but us too. But we'll try it again. And then there's sometimes where I just know, no, you know what? This isn't a good experience at all. You need to go and have professional veterinary um, care and treatment and have it done there. It's like an old dog. There's a lot of times with old dogs, we groom their whole life. And I say, it's time to have the vet do this because if something happens here, I'm not going to be able to resuscitate the dog like the veterinarian because that's what they're prepared to do. We take courses in it. We know it. We're not professionals at it, okay? We're amateurs still because hopefully it never comes up to you. Are you guys um, trained in pet CPR, most groomers? Most groomers, I don't know if most groomers are often. I think more now than ever before. I think every groomer needs to be. I think um, that's something I agree. that, you know. I mean, I've I've used CPR on on on, on a pet. Um, you know, we brought mm -hmm. we brought a pet back. Um, it was an old dog, and this is going back in the late '80s. Um, so um, John Nash was pushing it back then for us to know CPR, and we would teach at the Nash Academy. And it was an old dog, and the dog just collapsed and performed CPR, and the dog came out of it as if nothing happened um, at that wow. point. So I think know. all. Pet owners should know pet CPR. They should take, I teach it. Red Cross teaches it. Go online because you need to know it before your pet arrests. But back to the grooming. What do you think about the mobile groomer versus going to a salon for a dog that's had a bad experience? I mean, what's basically, in your opinion, for a dog, what's it like to go into a mobile versus a salon? The mobiles are nice. There's not many companies that do the conversions, um, but the ones that do the professional. Now, if you're making yourself, it's one thing, but most of them go to these professional, and they're beautiful. And they're set up, equipped perfectly with the perfect atmosphere, the perfect look, everything for for your pet. So if um, – and listen, the pet always knows, you know. It, it's funny. I never under could understand when I got about three blocks away from my house how my dogs knew that they were – going home okay so that they could sense it so the same thing in a mobile if you have a dog that 
can is more comfortable being closer to the house, mm-hmm. and they're gonna know it. It's better. They're set up good. You know, I mean, it's it's the worst thing that can happen is they open the door and the dog runs out. But the way that those things are set up, they're beautiful. They're perfect. Now, I got to be honest with you. There's also another type of groomer, the one that makes house calls, and some people need their you know need to be able to their pet needs to be in the house to be able to be groomed um, successfully and safely. Now, sometimes you get a neurotic pet owner that doesn't think so. And um, and I'm going to say this right now. It's always better in most situations to get the pet out into the professional environment. So whether that be the salon, whether that be the grooming van, it's always better. But then you have those rare cases of those dogs. Maybe they're elderly. Maybe they, they get separation anxiety where you have to do it in the company of, of the pet owner. That's great. But pet owners, you really don't need to be there. You know, it's funny because we would have um, we would have people that would want to stay with their pets. And to be honest mm-hmm. with you, I allowed it. Um, a lot of groomers right. don't allow. You know, for me, it's no big guy. I got nothing to hide. And I want you to see exactly what we do because we're not just playing with dogs. Um, you know, you get down and dirty, and we put a smock on them and everything. And they have rules. You know what they can do, what they can't do. And sit there with the dog, and I'll tell you what, after five minutes of getting nails shot out you and hair all over you and it's on your face, they look at it and they say, okay, well, this looks good. I'm going to go. But it's a really good experience for the pet owner to see it once. So, you know what? They feel comfortable with you. They know why you want them in a professional environment. And if their pet can handle it, it's much better. Do you guys uh, ever do like aromatherapy? Because when I used to work at the SPCLA in the shelter, the dogs would be all worked up and we would put a lavender aromatherapy and a classical music and, and it really did calm the dogs. We absolutely do. But, you know, I, I, I've taken a lot of um, aromatherapy classes for dogs, um, for pets, too. And one thing that we did find out is that it, it and, and you know this perfectly well, um, you have to use quality oils. You can't use things that have a lot of fill, um, chemicals and fillers in them that you're going to diffuse that into the air because it's not going to do anything. It's going to smell good for us, but it's not going to comfort them. Matter of fact, it makes it worse. So, and knowing the balance of oils that you can use, because I think some people will, real, you know, will use something heavy like eucalyptus and, you know, for a dog that's, that's very uncomfortable, um, where it's a little soothing for us. So, I, I yes, we did use it, but um, we also you know tell people that want to use it to you know know a little bit about it first. Yeah, research it before you get dive into that stuff. Yes, here's one. This and this is a good one for maybe not California, but most of the country because it's cold out. How do you guys treat um cracked um chap pads um in the winter? Well, the best thing is to do prevention. Um, because, you know, when the pet, pa, people let their pets walk on the, um, you know, pavement where it's had the uh, salt and stuff to break down the snow, that's so hard on their pads. And people don't realize. So you have to be very careful when you're walking your pet out. Get them used to the booties. I'm telling you, those booties protect their pads. They also keep their feet from getting filthy. You know, when you, nothing like walking the dog and then, you know, you come home and their feet are just all, right, full of, yeah. So I really like the booties. I think being aware of the surroundings. Fatty acid supplements too. I think sometimes that can be an indicator 
that your pet may need a fatty acid supplement. Uh, certain diseases will cause hyperkeratosis of the pads, distemper, if your pet ever had that, they can get that. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, I'm a fan of the, uh, of the, the um, coverings for their little booties that they make that stay on now. Uh, and or wiping their feet the minute, you know, you're done with the little walk so that that stuff doesn't stay on or they don't lick it. And and people shouldn't self-diagnose either because I know, I, I, I'll give you an example. We had a German Shepherd that used to come to us years ago and the dog would smell very fishy and it would come in every four to six weeks, clockwork, um, you know, really good customer. But for some reason or other, we couldn't eliminate the, the odor. And then we realized she was given excessive amounts of, of cod liver oil because to keep the dog's coat shiny. And the veterinarian um, had found, uh. found it and, and backed her off on it. And the dog, you know, and it was funny because the dog would have that, you know, that greasy dander? Seborrhea, yes. Okay. Yes, like Seborrhea, but not oh. as heavy. Oh, okay. Was, um, but 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 you know, it might be. It might be, uh, you know, a form of it. Definitely, it just wasn't like that. Really bad. It was just. It had dander. It had a beautiful coat, but when you got down at the skin, it was very oily, and 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 it was that wet like dander. Uh, the best way I can mm -hmm. explain it. So I mean, we did everything we can, but listen. You know as well as I do, shampoos and conditioners are only going to mask the problem. You got to get to the root of the problem. That may keep the dog from itching for a day, but then that's about it. It's going to go right back to, to where it was. So they eliminated the oils, the excess oils. Um, and at that time, it was like linotone. So I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember I that. I do it's not even remember on the market that. anymore. Yes. And it, I think that was like what they were using. And not that that was bad, just there was overuse and dog didn't need it because it was getting everything it needed from its food. And then we had a dog that had a great healthy coat, smelled good, um, you know, and just made a world of difference. Well, it's interesting because everybody wants to supplement now. And the nutraceutical um, manufacturing in the United States is huge. So nutraceuticals are over-the-counter products, right? Like it's non-prescription. They're not regulated by the government at all, Joey. So uh, you can kill a dog with nutraceuticals. Absolutely. If you're giving too much of the water-soluble vitamins, like vitamin A, vitamin K, vitamin D, you could kill a dog. People think vitamins are, oh, supplements will never hurt them, but it's not true. So you really do need to discuss with your vet before you supplement them with anything. And if your pet's going to have surgery, just like with people, you've got to let them know because certain uh, vitamin E is an anticoagulant. So if your dog's taking vitamin E and you don't tell us and we do surgery, it could bleed bleed excessively. So you really... Really? Oh, yes. So... I didn't know yep, that. Yep, you have to be very careful. And most dogs don't need supplementation if they're eating a high-quality diet. Uh, they really don't, especially when they're young. Once they get older or if they have some underlying health problem, there are times when you really do need to supplement them, and it can make a big difference. But like I said, supplements are not innocuous. They are not harmless. They can be very, very dangerous. Um, so it's good to talk to your vet before you do any of that stuff. So I got it. We're talking about this and I got a good stud tail story for you that, um, 
we had a cat um, assigned me his name Arlo, and Arlo lived in at Nash Academy. He was one of the resident cats that we had, and um, Arlo had what we thought was a bad case of stud tail. Now, stud tail. Tell me if I'm wrong. It's it's a gland in the tail that overproduces that makes it greasy. Is that is that what stud tail is? Basically, yes. Okay, so, but. We, you know, when we didn't have enough dogs, we would use the cats because we needed to train the students. So you learn to call the cat. Okay. And this was perfect because the cat would have stud tail all the time. So the cat would get a lot of bats and the cat ended up hating it. Anyway, what we yeah. come to find out is um, the cat didn't have stud tail. We had a seafood restaurant that was next door to the school. And the cat figured out a way how to get up through the ceiling and go in the seafood restaurant. And get in their garbage <laughs> and would eat whatever he would find in the garbage and come back. And that's why he had that fishy stud tail. They caught him one day when they opened up the restaurant and he was sitting on one of the tables cleaning himself. But he also left a steaming pile behind in the restaurant. <laughs> we had to figure out. We finally figured out how the cat was getting in. And that was oh it. Oh, my God. So that's it's fun, so funny you brought that up. How do you teach a groomer to groom a cat if they're not a cat person? They've never handled a cat. I got to tell you, it's um, it, it's funny. Most groomers would just say no. Most students of mine would come to school and say, I, I don't want to learn how to groom cats. And then you have others that, it takes a special, listen, we did a lot of cats. We did about 20 cats a week. Um, we did a lot of cats. I, I actually... Um, started getting better at cat grooming than dog grooming at a certain point. And you wanted those cats because cats are dollar signs, you know. You're not walking in my door for under $100, and that was in, you know, the early 2000s. Um, but um, you're right. I mean, it takes a special person. You got to be prepared to groom the running skill saw because – and if you don't know the – um. The tendencies of the cat and, and when, when you know, I mean, it could be as subtle as an ear movement. And you know, okay, I'm going to get bit here soon. I better pay attention. And always two people on a cat. One to control and one to groom. Because if you get in a situation where it gets out of control, I got to be able to put that cat back in its carrier. Because the problem is the cat gets loose. <laughs> it's not going home. <laughs> yeah, no. Yes. It's not, it's bad. And it gets behind cages. It gets by. Well, I had a cat just yesterday. I had a kitty come in and her name was Blueberry Muffin Pot. Something silly like that. Fat cat that the owner had shaved half of it. And then she noticed a mess and it's like 11 year old cat, right? This cat was 14, purring and and we were all everyone we're all like this right so i called the owner i said listen we got to draw blood we got to get urine we got to take x-rays right so the first thing the techs usually do is do the nails yes because right yes. You, 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 okay so alex trims the nails the cat becomes literally cujo no i'm serious <laughs> like all of a sudden i go wait what did you do to that cat full on so I have to call the owner and I said, hey, I don't know what happened to Blueberry. Boy, she is naughty. And she goes, she's alpha. And if you guys were trying to do something to her, so guess what I did? Shot the butt, little ketamine volume in the butt. And there she was out like a light. So we have the advantage, Joey, because 
This cat, I would never have thought she would have turned so quickly from the nail trim. But she went, uh, I don't think you guys are going to manhandle me. Yeah, so. Cat bites are bad, too. I mean, oh, People don't realize yeah. you go out of commission with a cat bite a lot yes. of times. Yes. No, people have lost their hands because they get in fungal infections. Bacteria. From cat bites. They, they're serious. Yep. So, um, yeah, we, we definitely love the drugs and they're safe. And, you know, because you're, you're not going to fight with a cat, Joey. A dog, yes, you can muzzle it. But a cat, uh, I mean, I had a cat the other day that they haven't taken it to the vet in 17 years. And now it's it's bad. They're like, it's not doing blah, blah, blah. It's in the carrier lunging. That's, isn't that scary when you get a cat like that? We, and I, okay, wait. And I'm like, we did, I called the lady and said, you're, we're not touching your cat. I'm going to give you some gabapentin because I can't get near a cat. Yes. I said, now we could do brutathane. That's a joke, right? You know, brutathane. And I said, but if your cat's really sick, that's not going to be good for the cat. So she's like, I'm so sorry. So I sent her home with a little gabapentin because, and some cats, we literally have to gas anesthetize. We, we have to, we have a gas chamber. We have a clear plastic gas chamber that we have the top that has a hole in it that you pipe the gas in. So the techs have to take the carrier and throw the cat in there and get, and it's like, oh my. One time we had to use a plastic bag because <laughs> we couldn't get the cat in the, in the glass container. So we just piped it into a plastic bag. Oh my gosh. Gatos. Gatos are, I mean, I have cats, so I'm, I would say I'm, yeah, I remember you being good with cats. I am good with cats. Yeah, yeah. And they do sense who likes them, who doesn't, who's afraid of them, who's not afraid of them. Um, but uh, but that that poor cat has uh, breast cancer that is metastasized to the lungs because it didn't get spayed early on. So now that cat's what a shame. Uh, days are numbered because it was she rescued it and they had spayed it later on in life. But it is a shame. It's a shame because people don't realize... You got to spam. Well, this went quick. Yes. This went this quick. quick. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more free vet advice. And, you know, we're pretty entertaining, aren't we, Joey? I think so. I definitely think so. And make sure that you like and share. That's, that's really important. And give us questions. We want questions. We want to know what you want us to talk about. So you can email your questions to Doc and Joey Unleashed at gmail.com.